Are these mega cap tech companies here to stay? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue against that. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. In the Bank of Canada's latest announcement, the tone seems to have shifted in a new direction. In today's episode, portfolio managers Matt Montemuro, Chris Heeks, and your host, Mackenzie Box, explore what's next for monetary policy. They also discuss tech stocks, volatility, and what another Trump term could mean for markets. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Hello and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our ETF Portfolio Management Team. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, and product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today I'm joined with Matt Montemuro and Chris Heeks, who are both on our ETF desk. So a special thank you to both Matt and Chris for being here with me today. Thanks for having us, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. Well, with that, let's dive in. Exciting day today. Uh, Matt, the Bank of Canada rate decision was made this morning. Can you walk us through what happened and how this impacted markets? The Bank of Canada made their January decision on Wednesday morning and uh, decided to hold the overnight rate at 5% for the fourth consecutive time. So the Bank of Canada's pause continues into 2024. You know, the real question now is, does this mean that hikes are now firmly off the table? Canadian central bankers do appear to be waving the white flag a little bit on future rate hikes, which is a positive sign for markets. The accompanying statement did not have any mention of rates potentially moving higher. And in his opening statement, Governor Macklin said that the debate is shifting more so towards how long policymakers will need to maintain the current restrictive stance. So no longer is it, do we have to raise uh, more or higher? It is now, how long do we need to keep rates higher? So, you know, we've been talking higher for longer. Well, I think we're no longer going to be higher, but it's how long do we keep these uh, this 5% overnight rate? Of course, uh, Canadian central bankers aren't ready to, to celebrate just yet. They're still concerned about the stickiness uh, in measures of underlying inflation. We saw that in the December print, and I think there's going to be all eyes on both Canadian and U.S. inflation uh, for January's print. You know, there's a lot of nervousness around that stickiness. Uh, but on the positive side, the Bank of Canada no longer sees the economy as overheating or overheated. So that's that's great because that means the Higher rates are making their way through the system. They are creating the necessary slack that the the bank wants to see. Uh, They want to see a pullback in growth. They want to see that slack so that they can feel comfortable that inflation won't reignite. So with the economy underperforming and expected to stagnate, in the near term. Uh, I think the reality is that the bar for any potential rate hikes is extremely high. So again, that's a positive signal for for the market. That doesn't mean we're getting 
cuts tomorrow, but the fact that they have kind of outlined that they're seeing slack, that the higher rates are doing their job, I think all is a positive for kind of looking forward in 2024 and in the expectation of rate cuts to come. So as we look forward, uh, you know, the economy is still facing a, a unique set of challenges. We continue to see uh, the rising impact of higher rates through mortgage renew- uh, renewals, uh, slower population growth, and uh, SIBA loan repayments. You know, so as a result, central bankers should be able to start easing policy to become a little le- less restrictive uh, in the not so distant future. So again, that's a positive signal to the markets that the bank is giving. So, long story short. The hold continues. We do expect it to continue uh, into the spring uh, and early summer of 2024. You know, the the market took the news pretty much as a non-event today. Uh, It was expected. uh, And I think uh, it was it was digested pretty positively. Um, You know, I think the the trend is still that we're going to see cuts in 2024, but they're starting to get pushed out a little bit. So, you know, they're they're coming a little bit later than the market had expected as we moved over in 2020 from 2023 to 2024. I think the optimism has uh, worn off a little bit. Uh, And I think right now, if you look at what's priced into the market, we're still seeing that first cut being priced in for June. And you're seeing about three and a half cuts priced into the market. You know, our view is that, you know, June, July, September, they all seem reasonable from a from a market pricing perspective. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we expect them to hold to the last second because they don't want to re, reignite inflation and that we might see a later uh first cut and that we're, we're likely going to see a fewer number of cuts than initially uh, expected in the market. But, you know, given uh, given all things considered, this is still a positive sign for markets. Uh, and I think we're in the in the expected in the right direction in terms of seeing rate cuts in the second half of uh, 2024. Great. Thanks, Matt. Want to reduce the risk of market timing or increase near-term growth? Our new range of BMO Structured Outcome ETFs can help you dial down risk or dial up equity returns. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZOCT, ZUEA, and ZEBA. Chris, turning to you, something else that is extremely topical. We saw Netflix earnings come in extremely favorable, uh, causing the stock price to pop significantly overnight. Now, tax had a great run in 2023. What is the signal for 2024? Is tech going to have another strong year? And how would you play the tech sector right now? Thanks, Mackenzie. Well, definitely a good start for for tech companies. We're just kind of entering earnings season now. And uh, so, you know, a lot more to come. But Netflix kicked it off to a great start. One thing, you know, they actually announced just before earnings was a partnership with WWE, Worldwide Wrestling Entertainment, uh, to air Raw, uh, Monday Night Raw, uh, starting in 2025. That was really well received by the market. So that had positive momentum. And then when they reported earnings, you know, they had a one of their biggest spikes in subscribers in, in several quarters, 13 million new customers. You know, some uh, investors were, you know, kind of worried about the impact of the crackdown on password sharing. 
that doesn't seem to be much of a concern. So strong demand from the end consumer. You know, just as we're taping this, actually, just as you were asking the question, I just got a headline. You know, Tesla has just reported. Tesla's reporting uh, lower growth, actually. So we'll see how that that news phases into the stock as we go into tomorrow's trading. Uh, but, you know, as mentioned, great start overall with Netflix. Uh, next week, we're going to have, you know, in the span of two days or three days, actually, we're going to have Google, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, and Apple. Uh, so, you know, another five of the magnificent seven um, mid next week. So we'll see uh, how it develops. You know, if I, if we can reach a conclusion, and, and certainly, you know, it might be early to reach a total conclusion, but one thing we'll look for, I think, is the performance of high-quality companies. And I think as we go into 2024, you know, it's obvious that fundamentals are still going to really matter. You know, we're off to a great start, but there's certain to be challenges this year. Uh, you know, as an investor, you know, when it's a challenge environment, I think it does potentially favor uh, the investor to be invested in high-quality companies. So in terms of playing Netflix or playing the tech sector, as you mentioned, um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is ZWT. That's our BMO covered call technology ETF. Uh, it was one of the top performing BMO ETFs last year. Um, obviously, we know past performance isn't necessarily indicative. Uh, but one thing I think is really well positioned about this ETF is the weight towards those high quality mega cap tech companies. And, you know, um, we're not going to forecast growth over three, six months. You know, it's, you know, you're going to need a crystal ball for that. But, you know, are these mega cap tech companies here to stay? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue against that. So, you know, there's a there's a strong weighting in that portfolio into the Google, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, Apple, NVIDIA, Netflix, you know, well represented in the portfolio. So for an investor looking to get some extra tech into their portfolio, uh, ZWT is an option. Um, and then we have uh, quality, you know, so quality as an equity factor, which we, you know, talked quite a bit about last year. Quality is a factor that looks for high companies with higher profitability, lower debt to equity and stable earnings. And, you know, that also characterizes many of these larger cap, very fundamentally strong tech companies. Um, although it's not a sector fund, you know, it has a, it would have a tech overweight relative to the S&P 500. It's also represented with other high quality companies and other sectors. So from more of a call it sector diversified, broader exposure, you know, I like the read through to quality. And so I think, you know, again, in uncertain markets, leaning into quality can potentially benefit investors. So those are two kind of ETFs that come to mind as we just kind of kick off earning seasons and 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 see how that's going to develop into next week. Great. Thanks, Chris. I know uh, everyone's always eager to see those earnings. So we'll see how that shakes out. Matt, switching back to you and kind of building off what we were talking about in the first question, volatility has continued in 2024 with market expectations swinging all over the place. Can you walk us through what you've seen in the fixed income market for the first few weeks of the year and what this tells you about the market uh, for the year ahead? Yeah, so one theme that has definitely followed us into 2024 is volatility. As you saw in our 2023 year in review, you know, 2023 ended with a pretty strong risk on tone in the markets. Uh, we saw fixed income, uh, uh, fixed income returns, you know, swing back into to positive territory in, in Q4 last year and post some pretty strong returns over the full year. Um, 
although they were very volatile. You know, at the end of the year, yields were falling with increased optimism around rate cuts. You know, the market was expecting lots of them for 2024 and coming very, very quickly. All of this with a soft landing and a no landing backdrop in both Canada and the U.S. Well, as the clock turned 12 and, and 2024 began, uh, what we've seen is a little bit of a reversal of this positivity, uh, maybe taking off those rose-colored glasses. Uh, you know, I think the, the market was clearly being optimistic with their expectations, and maybe they've been brought down to earth a little bit. Uh, after we saw two hotter-than-expected CPI prints in both Canada and the U.S., we really saw rate expectations or the market's expectations of rate cuts really start to pull back. Uh, in Canada alone, you know, we saw December's CPI uh, print at 3.4%. So this was up 0.3% from November. But, you know, relatively, it, it was in line with consensus expectations. So, you know, this was a hotter print than November, but not materially so. Uh, so this was kind of expected. This was kind of, you know, what the market was expecting. But, you know, the markets did react very violently and it was seemed to be shocked by it. We saw rates spike by over 25 basis points in just two days and rate cut expectations in Canada moved materially. So we had prior to the CPI print last week, we had six cuts priced in for Canada for 2024. Immediately after, you know, after two days after that CPI print last week, we're now down to four with 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 the, just that single CPI print. So, you know, we went from a March cut to a June cut. You know, this is how fickle the market is right now. This is how uncertain the market is. You know, this tells me that there's a lot of investors who are sitting on the sidelines and waiting for a little bit of more a little bit more clarity. Like if you look at trading volume, if you look at ETF flows or other similar indicators, you know, the start of 2024 has really been marked with investors sitting on their hands and waiting. Uh, you know, some investors are starting to look at making some bets, whether it's adding duration or not, you know, adding more credit or taking it off. Uh, but I think many are just waiting and they're waiting for more certainty in the markets. So if you look at returns, you know, the long end, just to start the year, it's given up about 5% of the gains it made in 2023. Again, you know, this might be that warning sign for investors uh, who are looking to put on the duration trade. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily a don't do it. It's, you know, just be ex expect that there's going to be volatility. You know, you shouldn't be of the faint of heart. Don't be looking at your returns after every print because there's going to be volatility in the long end. So if you are going to move out the curve and into duration assets, you know, just be okay with some near-term volatility. I think long-term, that's still well-positioned. It's just, you know, you can't be looking every, every day at, uh, at potentially the, some of the swings, uh, given the uncertainty that we're seeing in the market. And, you know, all in all, I think uh, volatility will continue to plague markets through the entirety of 2024. I think that's going to be a common theme. You know, if you ask me what uh, what positioning I like, given the market, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the market right now, I still think the short end is still well positioned. Uh, yields are are in excess of 5%, the overnight rate of 5%. We're in an inverted yield curve environment. There's still rosy expectations priced into the market. So in the near term, I think funds like ZST, the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond Fund, and ZCS, BMO's Short Corporate Bond Fund, I think they do perform well. I think they provide investors with a an attractive yield, limited duration exposure to wait out some of the volatility. Uh, and you're getting compensated for very little risk given the inverted yield curve.
But if you're looking further out over a one-year time horizon, you know, I see that duration assets are going to outperform as I do think the trend is going to continue that rates are going to come down. So with that, I think moving to a more aggregate bond exposure from an overweight and short, you know, something like ZAG, BMO's aggregate bond fund, or if you want to go all in on, on duration or just complement your portfolio, you could look at targeting just the long end of the curve in ZFL, so our BMO Long Federal Bond Fund, or ZTL, our BMO Long U.S. Treasury Bond Fund. You know, both are exposures um, that will allow investors to target specifically that long end of the curve. You know, although it's going to be volatile, I think those three do outperform the short end if you look on a one-year time horizon. So you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of a rocky ride, but I think investors, if you look at the short end in the near term and you look long duration over the long term, I think those, are the, uh, those look to be well positioned to help investors go through 2024. Great. Thanks, Matt. The ETF space is a thriving industry, providing Canadian investors new options for growth. What's driving this demand and what key benefits do they provide? Find the answers to these questions and more in our BMO ETF 2024 Industry Outlook, available now. Access the report and get the latest insights anytime at BMOGAM.com. That's BMOGAM.com. Donald Trump won the New Hampshire primary on Wednesday following a landslide win in Iowa, causing Ron DeSantis to drop out of the race. The probability of Trump winning the Republican primary look quite high as of now. What are your thoughts around the upcoming 2024 presidential election in the States and the impact it will have on equity markets? Something not a lot of investors are, you know, at least from what I'm seeing, talking a lot about yet, uh, but it is right around the corner. Uh, there's actually quite a few elections this year. Um, so even outside the U.S., we've got, uh, uh, you know, Taiwan had an election in January. We've got Pakistan and India uh, kind of in Q1, Q1 into Q2. We've got the U.K. this year. Probably some turnover in the UK is how it's looking like right now. So quite a few elections, you know, obviously the big the big daddy of them all, so to speak, is the US election uh, in November. It's interesting to think about. I, I think it's just interesting to get on the radar right now. Think about some of the possible outcomes. I think there's some similarities to, you know, the last time Trump, uh, well, the last time when he won the election in 2016, there were some similarities uh, there's some differences as well. You know, I think similar to 2016, you're going to see some volatility uh, from the election. You know, as we recall, the last couple of elections have been very contentious. You know, I think it's going to be even more contentious this side. This might be, this could, you know, if Trump is is, is able to run uh, versus Biden, this could be the most contentious of the last three. I wouldn't be surprised. Kind of what's different in terms of you're looking at the outcomes, you know, relative to 2016 when when Trump did take office. From a fiscal point of view, I don't think there's as many strings to pull. You know, obviously, we remember there was a lot of volatility around uh, when Trump was elected, ended up being very good for equity markets. You know, they were down 10% on the night of their election and then recovered all that ground by the time the markets opened and, you know, ended up kicking off another little mini bull cycle. You know, we cut taxes, cut corporate taxes, most notably. Given that's already been done and just given the events, COVID, how much that's added to the balance sheet at a fiscal level, 
you know, I don't think there are the same level of tools. So, you know, while the notion that, you know, Trump is pro-business, I don't think he has as many tools that he could potentially rely on. The U.S. is not in as good, you know, fiscal shape as they were in 2016. Actually, people didn't think they were in great shape then, but they're certainly more more indebted now. So that's going to limit some flexibility in terms of what can be done. A couple sectors that really popped in 2016 was really the old world economy. So yes, we talked about tech and, and tech is still a big theme going forward. But you know, if you look at the top three sectors going back to 2016 and that in that outcome, financials, industrials, and energy. So again, what's different this time? We're at the end of an interest rate hike cycle. You know, we're cautious around economic slowdown. You know, Governor Macklem, you know, in the Canadian, you know, he was highlighting that the economy is slowing down a little bit. So we're watching that. Those are a couple sectors to watch. And, you know, I think banks is, U.S. banks is one in particular that we've been watching. Obviously, a major uh, banking crisis last March. We can't have technology being the only sector leading the market higher. And, and banks, you know, on this positive sentiment of the last couple of months have turned around. You know, I think, I think they have that potential to keep doing that, you know, particularly if the economic slowdown is, is manageable with the potential of if that aspect of 2016 repeats itself, that was very, very favorable for financials. So when I think about a, sl- a small satellite position in portfolios to look at ZUB, the BMO equal weight US banks hedge to CAD index ETF. I do see the Canadian dollar being a little bit weak here and the hedge could potentially be beneficial as well. So that's one sector. You know, the other sector that that took off back in 2016 was industrials. And again, we don't have a US industrials ETF. We do have a Canadian one. It's one of those unsung uh, ETFs, I think, in in the BMO lineup. And, and that tends to happen when you have more than 150 tickers. But, you know, one that's really delivered and, and some very solid companies in there, you know, including the railroads, CNR and CP, Air Canada, WestJet was acquired recently. Some other kind of industrials, maybe not as brand name recognizable, but well-recognized in, in the industrial sector. Uh, so that would be our ZIN ETF, the BMO Equal Weight Canadian Industrials Index ETF. You know, another potential beneficiary if there's a little more pro, pro-business sentiment coming out. But, you know, I do think that is a, another reason why, you know, we might look at a quality factor and consider that. And, you know, one of the potential sources of volatility as we as we go through the year is going to be elections. So kind of starting on a more foreign basis, we'll look at UK, India and Pakistan, and then US in Q4. Something to uh, to get on the radar. Great. Thanks, Chris. And with that, those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I just want to thank everyone for listening in and providing questions and comments each and every week. And a special thank you to Matt and Chris for taking the time to share some great insights. With that, I'll wish everyone a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemuro, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZAG, which invests in a diversified portfolio of federal, provincial, and corporate bonds. The team also discussed Netflix's surging subscriber base and the trajectory of tech. The BMO Covered Call Technology ETF, ticker ZWT, provides exposure to a portfolio of North American technology and tech-related companies while earning call option premiums. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com.
Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.